0: Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And it's a Tuesday, so no cousin Shane, but that's because we got our buddy Stephen Lassen went on a deep dive here around the SEC. Really uh, had to pick Steven's brain on Texas A&M and Mississippi State jobs opening. The bowl projections, that did so well last week. So we got in on that, previewed the upcoming slate. Great conversation with Steven. We'll get to that in just a minute. But we didn't have time uh, to play these clips from Ross Bjork. It was Sunday evening, talking about getting rid of Jimbo. But big surprise, you know, obviously the uh, emergency podcast, if you missed it, And and surely, you know, by now, but Zach Arnett fired by Mississippi State on Monday morning, which no surprise (laughs) that he was fired. Really, the surprise was the timeline of why they didn't do it Sunday. We'll never know. But uh, we got comments from Mississippi State AD Zach Selman as well. So let's get start with Ross Bjork. He just went first here on why he made the decision to get rid of Jimbo Fisher after all this uh, hot seat talk for several years on this program. Here's Texas A&M My AD Ross
1: <clears throat> I determined at this point, and for for lots of reasons, our program is stuck in neutral. We should be relevant on the national scene. Something is not clicking. Something is not working, and therefore – something had to give in order for Aggie football to reach our full potential. As leaders, every decision we make or every decision we don't make has consequences. Consistency in how the program operates on a daily basis impacts the confidence level of every single person in the program and thus influences performance. Based on my experience, the best programs have confidence, The program has an established identity. The program maximizes the talent. The leadership is fully integrated in the university, the athletics program, and its culture. I did not feel like we were meeting those standards of excellence and leadership. Uh, Earlier in the week, it seemed like Jimbo was probably going to get through the rest of the season before a decision was made. Why did the timetable change? Yeah. Here's the deal: You're either moving forward or you're stuck. We were stuck, and so I, I kind of use the analogy with uh, with somebody earlier. You know how you're driving down the highway? It's a four lane road, and I drive fast. Okay, <clears throat> I like you know seventy five to eighty, and somebody's in the left lane and they're going fifty five and they won't move over. We were that car going fifty five. Something had to give. They had to get out of the way. So. We had to move this program forward, and and here's the thing. I got back from the Ole Miss game, and we're a football family, so we're sitting on the back porch, and I'm making, why? Why is this not working? What is the problem? What do Aggies think? Do we have any hope? Where do we go? And so I I called President Welsh Sunday night, and I said, we need to meet on Monday. We need to have a plan. The plan needs to be executed efficiently but also knew that we had conversations this week. There are regent meetings. Of course, the regents were informed of my recommendation to the president. And so the timing of all of that played into it. And then I thought if we were gonna have an interim coach that this week is gonna be a little, it's it's gonna be a little wild, right? The players are gonna be emotional, that we could prepare for this game based on the opponent. And then you go and try to beat LSU, you know, the last game of the year and create some momentum. So, again, not ideal, but also not unique in the modern day of college football, especially given transfer portal world, signing day, and all those dynamics. That, that And now,
0: of course, the million-dollar question, well, really, who is the next coach is the question, but how will they get there? How will the Aggies come about finding their next head coach? What are they looking for? Here's Ross Bjork. Uh, on, on who a and is searching for in their next coach.
1: Here's the profile of what we will work from. A coach that has a program identity, great interpersonal skills, track record of player development, commitment to academics, a recruiting machine, supreme organizational skills, culture of discipline, passion for the game, proven winner, strong leadership skills involved in the community, of course, knowledge of X's and O's, and someone that understands and also can capitalize in today's modern-day college athletics.
0: And I, mean, I, I think yeah, the comment that kind of says it best, I mean, our, we just weren't making those strides, or as Ross Bjork puts it, we were stuck in neutral in College Station. Now, i be fascinated to see, uh, again, we get into this deep dive with Stephen, but uh, I don't think the splashy fit is, is who they're looking for or, or sh- who they should be going for. We need a quality coach. We need some stability. That's also something Bjorst talked about. We just need us a football coach down here in College Station that can take all these tools, all this promise, get the most out of it. Cannot wait to see who Texas A&M hires to fix this football program. And the same deal with Mississippi State, one of the proudest institutions in the SEC. They ain't been playing like it, though, this season under Zach Arnett. I said the same thing on the emergency show Just proud that they pulled the trigger so quickly because you're just delaying the inevitable, given what we've seen. Zach Arnett was in over his head. He's a fine defensive coordinator. He's not cut out to be a head coach in this league, at least not yet. And that was evident this year on the field. So uh, Zach Salmon says this is going to be a national search for their next coach. And um, here he is on his decision why they decided to get rid of uh, Zach Arnett after only 10 games.
2: Like all high-profile coaching searches, there's going to be plenty of rumors out there on who our candidates are, and there'll be a ton of interest in this position. I advise you not to make assumptions or believe anything unless you hear it from me. During this process, we'll be thorough, we'll be diligent, and we'll be efficient. The next time I speak publicly on this will be when we introduce our, our next head football coach. Zach, if you will, maybe take us through your decision timeline. I mean, you know, what kind of brought this day forward? And obviously we've all seen your product on the field, but kind of what did you know and when would you know it and when did you start thinking that way? Yeah, I think in this role you're constantly looking at the health of a sport program. And you throughout the season you want to see progression and progression in certain areas. I don't think we, we met the standard on the field. Um, as far as a point of decision, I think after – Discussion with Dr. Keenum in on Sunday afternoon. It it was pretty clear that this was a decision that we needed to make to make sure that we solidify um, our path forward into the future.
0: And I think the million-dollar question when it comes to Mississippi State and Zach Selman—that you know he didn't go on a huge deep dive here or anything—but the NIL—that's the million-dollar question because they're so far behind in NIL based on what I've heard. What Many people have said Mississippi State is uh, I mean short of Vanderbilt I, I think that's the only one they're they're doing better than well, what will he tell candidates about that because I, I think that is a very very important question for any candidate seriously considering this Mississippi State job
2: Zach exactly. in the Nil space there's a lot of discussion among you know coaching candidates about you know what what's your Nil package look like and things like that and that's a factor in this uh, ever a changing College football world, and so how prepared are you to answer that question? And uh, you know, what do you need from fans to ensure that Mississippi State is competitive in that space? So they can attract the best candidate possible. Yeah, over the last uh, handful of months that we've been here, uh, that's been a key priority for us, and we put a lot of um, energy and thought into the Bulldog Initiative or working with Charlie Winfield and his efforts. Um, I think for our, our fans, we need everybody to join the Bulldog Initiative. We need to support that. Will be a subject of conversation. And I feel uh, we've made a lot of progress there, um, but we continue to need people to join, continue to have people support. You can't win games just by yourself anymore. That's not the case. So we've got a competitive fan base. We've got a hungry fan base. So I encourage each of us, uh, each of our stakeholders to join in what we're trying to do here. Because, again, truly, it's a special time to be a Mississippi State Bulldog.
0: All right, so there you have it from the decision-makers in College Station and Starful with now two openings, maybe more to come in the SEC. As soon as there's another, you can bet we're going to be going live on an emergency podcast. Uh, But let's kick it over to our interview here. Stephen Lassen back again. Great conversation with Stephen. All right, we're back with our friend Stephen Lassen, of course, Senior Editor, Athlon Sports, back for a Stephen Lassen Tuesday. How you doing, buddy?
3: Hey, Mike, it's great to talk to you, my friend. I uh, hope you enjoyed all the games this weekend. It was a interesting weekend on the gridiron and an even more uh, crazy weekend off of it. So uh, I guess no, not a dull moment right now in the world of college football.
0: Yeah, I don't even know where to begin, Stephen. But, uh, yeah, let's recap just briefly because, I, I I mean, I enjoyed the game. I, I'll watch any game, Stephen, especially SEC. But, um uh, not a not not a damn one of them was was that entertaining. I mean, they were lopsided. LSU Florida was that was the best one I thought. But uh, anything stand out? Georgia whooping Old Miss, Missouri physically dominating Tennessee, Alabama keeps on getting better and better. Anything stand out to you?
3: I think first of all, it was the statement that Jaden Daniels made against Florida. Um, And I I hate to go on another Heisman rant on your show (laughs) like I did with Brock Bowers. But, you know, I've already seen the Jaden Daniels is the quarterback for a three loss team and he can't win the Heisman Trophy. It's an individual award. It goes to the best player. It doesn't go to the best team. If Jaden Daniels is uh, if you think he's the best player, you should vote him for the Heisman Trophy. So uh, that that first of all was an impressive performance from him. Uh, just the the touchdown runs themselves were just highlight real uh, material. But the overall the production, the way he carried that team, uh, once again, just the the statement that Jaden
0: Daniels made for LSU. You mentioned Alabama. Um, well, wait, Stephen. I, I apologize before you move on. But yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you just said, and and it's that is the, one of the dumbest arguments I think in in all of. Sports that, yeah, I mean they they got three losses to three top ten teams away from Baton Rouge, but I mean it's it's not like that's that's unheard of, right? I mean, didn't Lamar Jackson didn't he have a, a several losses? RG three, I believe, had three losses when he won it. Tebow had multiple losses the the year he won it. So I I don't I don't even understand why people make that argument because it's I mean it's not that foreign to have a guy with with a couple losses on his resume win the Heisman.
3: Exactly. That that's just it. You know, you, there have been other Heisman winners with multiple losses and so it shouldn't be a reason to vote against Jaden Daniels. If if you don't think he's the best player then then you shouldn't vote him first uh for the Heisman trophy. But, you know, there are some legitimate candidates that aren't from the SEC like Michael Penix of Washington. He's having a great season. He could be the Heisman frontrunner. But I don't think we have to make this a Washington is is perfect. LSU's lost three games that should knock jaden daniels out of the playoff mix especially like you said they've lost to florida state who might make the college football playoff uh they lost to alabama who's in the sec championship game and they lost to to ol miss basically what on the kind of the last drive last play of the game that's not a knock on jaden daniels he's having a fantastic season and if and if if he's if he is your number one player in college football uh the wins and losses shouldn't matter you should vote him for the heisman trophy
0: Right. And I apologize for cutting you off, but it sounded like you were going to say something nice about Bama. So I ha- I have to almost interject anytime anybody says something nice about uh Alabama. Yeah,
3: I was I was wondering are the uh the Decay and Dynasty shirts are probably still in the boxes, right? In
0: the, somewhere. <laughs> They're getting sent to a third world country as we speak. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. I I think you can safely keep those away, uh tucked away for another year. Uh this team just impressive, just continues to get better and better each week and coming off the win against LSU wanted to see how they would respond on the road. Um, a Kentucky team that I think, you know, probably was certainly motivated to to pull off the upset and Alabama just came out early, made a statement, pulled away um, Jalen Milroe with another fantastic performance. He's someone uh, as Alabama gets better. A lot of that is due to his development too. So I've been really impressed with Jalen Milroe. Over the course of the season. It adds some intrigue to that SEC championship game that's uh that's now official. And I think the other uh takeaway that I had probably two things. First of all, impressive win for Missouri. Just incredible domination the way that Cody Schrader and and Brady Cook played, and just the, the 36 to seven final result after Tennessee had taken care of Missouri the last two years. So some revenge for Missouri and then Georgia. Uh, just another impressive performance. I think we're getting used to the fact that Georgia's probably going to fall behind in the first quarter. And then after that, at some point during the second quarter, it's going to be o- over as Georgia pulls away. So I think maybe status quo kind of held here in the SEC with some impressive performances by the top-ranked teams.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of uh, status quo, I, I wanted you, you to uh, share your thoughts Again, I'm not trying to diminish all the games we got this weekend or even rivalry weekend, the best weekend on the college football calendar. But as we sit here November 13th, we already know who's going to be representing each division in the SEC Championship, the final one under this uh, divisional format. Of course, Alabama out of the west, Georgia out of the east. Early thoughts on that matchup, Stephen. Who would you favor? And uh, kind of early keys to the game for you when these two Titans meet in Atlanta,
3: man, I can't wait for this game. You know, I, I think, um, you know, just as a kind of a college football nerd and growing up, the sec championship game has always been one of my favorite games of the year. And, and I remember the first one, you know, watching uh, you know, out there and, in, uh, in Birmingham on the, the turf with, with Alabama and Florida and, and remembering some of the plays that have happened over the years in, in the Georgia dome. So it, it's always one of my favorite games and this year we're sending it out with a bang. I mean, the fact that we're getting Alabama versus Georgia in the SEC championship game, and these two teams look like they're on a collision course to I mean, it could be a, a playoff game, a playoff play-in game. There's just so much at stake here. So it's the last one of this format, but on paper, it is going to be a just a colossal, like titanic matchup of of the, you know, certainly two teams that'll be in the top eight, we think, by then, assuming Alabama. Uh, beats Auburn, but I think on the matchup front, I think the quarterbacks stand out to me against the defenses. Like Carson Beck against Alabama's secondary, how does Georgia handle the pass rush of Dallas Turner? Same thing for Alabama. Like how does Alabama and, and Jalen Milrow navigate this Georgia uh, defense? He's been like we talked about; he's been getting better every week. Georgia will be the biggest challenge of the season for him. Also, just curious to see if Nick Saban and the defensive staff can do anything to slow down uh, Brock Bowers. Uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating X's and O's matchup. I can't wait for it. Uh, we got got a few weeks to get to the rivalry, but man, I'm looking forward to this
0: game. You put any stock at all into the fact that uh, you know Alabama, Nick Saban that may be in the head of Georgia. I mean, I, I realize last time they met National Championship Georgia, they did what they had to do. That was obviously, the first time and only time, if I'm not mistaken, that Kirby's beaten Nick Saban. Didn't have to face him last year. I mean, I, I would think going into that game, Alabama would be confident. And and that means, you know, the, the pass means nothing. But I don't know. Do you Do you think there's any... Mental block at all, because I can hear Alabama fans now, Steve, had our receivers not got hurt we we would have beat Georgia that game too, and they may be right, uh, but you know Georgia had players injured too, so uh, but we can go we can go down that rabbit hole maybe another day, but d- do you think there's anything to that, or do you think Georgia has no fear of Alabama?
3: I don't think Georgia has a fear. Of Alabama, because I I mean, I think you look at the way that, you know, Kirby Smart and and this staff have have played this year. You know, the playoff rankings are are disrespect. I mean, we've already seen Kirby start to talk up the disrespect angle about how uh, they're whatever they are, two or three. And it hasn't come across his desk this season. I, I actually think the the role reversal, maybe to some extent, is interesting because Alabama is is the hunter in this game. You know, in the past, it's been Georgia. I mean, Alabama Mm -hmm. is going to be an underdog in the SEC championship game. I think, yeah, I've seen, I think three points is the early spread. I actually thought it would be a little bit higher. I thought it might be like five, maybe close to six, but I don't think uh, under Kirby Smart, I don't, and I don't mean this as a knock on Alabama. I don't think Georgia's afraid of anybody. I think they're the best team in college football, and I think they've proven that as the season goes on. But I think the, the undercard kind of disrespect angle can be played by Alabama here because they're the underdog and they've kind of been doubted uh, to some extent all year. So it's the the interesting kind of change in dynamics of psychology will be fun for this one.
0: Uh, and who do you think... Who do you think would have the coaching edge? Or is, or is there a coaching edge in that matchup? I have to go with Georgia,
3: I think. Um, especially... Well, I let me take a step back here for a second. I think give a lot of credit to Tommy Reese and Nick Saban and all of the defensive staff for Alabama for kind of circling the wagons, getting the team refocused, improving during the course of the season. And I think on the Georgia front, you can almost say the same thing. I mean, they keep losing first rounders to the NFL, new starting quarterback. They find out during the course of the season like what Carson Beck can do well. He settled in, and look at the offense. They're putting up 10 yards of play on Saturday night against Ole Miss. Uh, So I I think it's it's tough to kind of give an edge, but I would have to probably pick – if I had to pick a staff here, I'd probably take Georgia's in a a close one.
0: Now, if Georgia lost that game, let's say they're undefeated, they lose to Alabama, would they make the college football playoff?
3: Going to give you a bad answer. I think it depends on what happens outside the SEC. So I think if you're a Georgia or or an Alabama fan, I think at this point, you might want to start rooting for some of the other teams to start beating up on each other. Uh, and there's a lot of chances for that. Look at uh, Texas still has to play Iowa State this weekend. And no, you don't want to mm-hmm. necessarily root against a family member coming into the conference next year. But uh, Texas still has to play Iowa State. They still have to play the Big 12 championship game potentially. You also have the Pac-12 teams will probably beat up on each other. Florida State in a pretty good spot right now. I think uh, the Big Ten teams are going to start playing a little bit more with uh, Michigan and Ohio State. You've had Penn State and Michigan. So I think root for some losses. I think Georgia's non-conference schedule could be problematic. But if it's a close game and... We have some 2 lost champions like the Pac-12 or the Big 12. I think it's certainly possible that both SEC teams get in. Uh, I think it, it would it would surprise me if no SEC teams got in. I know that's a scenario that's out there, but I right. would be surprised. I think we're we're due for some chaos before this season
0: ends. Yeah, and I believe this is accurate, Stephen. But uh, and again, we're recording on Monday evening. But as of the the pl- the playoff rankings. Which will change on Tuesday, but I believe the top seven, five of them are on the road this weekend. So, you know that's that's how you get upsets on the road, uh, particularly. So I I don't know that all those teams may win; they keep winning. So I'm but, not...
3: <laughs> we we keep saying it? We're due for some chaos, right? We're due for some losses by top ranked teams. So I mean, like you said. All those teams on the road this late in the season, um, I think we're going to get one or two this weekend. I've got one in mind uh, outside the SEC that I like. So,
0: mm-hmm. so uh, I, I apologize if if I miss this. It's late, but uh, if Alabama Georgia meet, so, and and you, I'm not going to hold you to this, Stephen, because there's still time. Players get injured, all this. If you had to pick that game right now, uh, who who are you picking, Georgia or Alabama in Atlanta?
3: I would take Georgia probably by a touchdown. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think first of all, I think my intrigue level for this game has gone up over the last couple of weeks because of the way that Alabama has improved. I think it's also gotten a lot more competitive because I think if you would have asked me about this game, potential matchup back in the middle of October, I would have said probably Georgia by maybe 10, maybe two touchdowns. And now we're talking about a game that's three point spread, uh, you know, could be a touchdown or so. I think it's gotten a lot more interesting because of the way that Alabama has uh, progressed. But it's also interesting when you think about Georgia's got Brock Bowers back. Yep. Uh, we'll see how def- some of the defensive injuries they have. Carson Beck has looked a lot better since September. Uh, so, like I said, it is it is a really fascinating SEC championship game we are looking at.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you who's not going to be there, Stephen. That's Texas a and <laughs> And Jimbo Fisher, unless he gets hired by uh, Kirby or, or Nick, and, and it sure as hell is not going to be Nick. But uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> wait, they have to be on one of the support staffs, right? <laughs> yeah, right? <that's, laughs> I've, I, I don't know. If you, you hire Jimbo, you're in, you're in a tough spot. I'll just say that. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the big news over the weekend. Fired on Sunday. Apparently I woke you up with the news there. But uh, initial thoughts on Jimbo getting the boot there uh, in college station and and how ironic after all these losses, he gets the boot after a, uh, what was it? A 41 point win over a conference opponent that he had lost to, I believe two games in a row prior to Saturday night.
3: It's funny because I was going to come on your show and apologize to Jimbo Fisher because (laughs) I thought they did a good job getting Jalen Henderson ready to go. I mean, yeah. you're third-string quarterback and you go out there and win by 41 uh, points. Now, granted, Mississippi State had a lot to do with that. They're really struggling uh, right now. But I-, I was surprised at the timing of it. I wasn't surprised, though, that it, it needed to happen. It, it Whether it happened now or next week at the end of the season, it needed to happen. It was time for change at Texas A&M. Um, Ross Bjork, the athletic director, kind of said it best. They were sort of stuck in neutral. It was clear. Jimbo wasn't going to change. They could have changed out a few assistants and maybe sort of try to run this back next year and try to sell 7-5 as progress. Mm -hmm. But it it just wasn't going to get better from here. Jimbo wasn't going to adapt. He is who he is. And so I think A&M, in making the right decision, got rid of him. And I also think that the pressure of Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league next year probably sort of move this along quicker because I don't think you can afford to fall uh, too far behind, especially when you see Texas contending for the college football playoff this year.
0: Right. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's almost like Jimbo needed a mobile quarterback this whole time to unlock this because I I never even heard of that, Jalen Henderson. I mean, I remember when they picked him up, but... It was kind of an unheralded pickup. Yeah. I mean,
3: because he was you know, slated to be like the third quarterback this year. And, you know, certainly... On the list of like top thirty quarterback transfers, he was not anywhere to be found this year. So, I, again, good, great job to him and Fisher and Petrino to get him ready for this game, but almost too little, too late uh, to adapt and make adjustments for Fisher.
0: Right, and so obviously A and M job. You know, thoughts on it, on it, Stephen? The the pros and cons, and I, I would certainly say, and we all know the buyout had something to do with this, but got to be the most patient fan base. <laughs> Among the the upper echelon in the SEC, Mike, I mean, I was on a A and M show about two, three weeks ago, Stephen, and they're they're saying, "Well, schedule looks pretty favorable next year." I, you know, they were making all these excuses to, to why you bring a guy back, even though he's been god awful for five Did, or six seasons. You know,
3: didn't we hear the schedule was pretty favorable this year too? Though, <laughs> I mean, of and- course. Right, and you have all this five-star talent. You have a quarterback in Connor Wigman. Now, granted, he got injured. Also, like we talked about, Alabama was vulnerable earlier this year. You had him at your place. LSU has a defense that's giving up, you know, however many uh, points a game, and is struggling mm-hmm. this year. The, the, the West was there for the taking for Texas A and M. I don't think that's a crazy thing to to think this year.
0: Right. So, w- what is your thoughts on this job and and just how coveted? It will be, given all the resources and the facilities and the fertile recruiting ground. There's a lot to like. Some things not to like. Uh, The gauntlet of the SEC, you you mentioned it, Sarkeesian's got Texas on the rise. We haven't even seen Arch Manning. Should he live up to the hype? I mean, Texas is going to be a force. So, I don't know. I I could see some coaches being intrigued. I could see others being a little, little, I don't know, afraid's the right word, but just... Expectations, a lot of guys crumble in the face of that, and then, you know, I know I know people think they just got unlimited dollars down there, but I don't know. I mean, surely they can afford someone good, but I don't know that's necessarily the route you take after this massive flop. So I threw a lot at you there, Stephen. But what's your thoughts on this job overall? I think let's start with the pros. I think the pros are
3: it's a top fifteen. I would probably put it closer to ten job in college football, and for the obvious reasons, your location—you you're in a state that loves high school football, has access to four and five star talent like crazy. Recruiting's not an issue. You know, I think when you think about like what the most desirable jobs, there are jobs like in Texas, Florida, Georgia, Ohio State. Like, where can you go get players? Texas A&M's got that. They also are to your point they have the resources they're doing well with NIL they've been they can bring in players from the transfer portal and they have the the willingness to spend and as far as head coaches facilities resources all that stuff to me the only con of the job is like you said it is a gauntlet in the SEC and you're somewhere you may be top 10 12 15 wherever you think it might be sixth or seventh in the SEC. Um, it's just that the, it's the gauntlet of the conference. The other con of it is why have why hasn't Texas A&M realized all this potential? They have so many things going for them. Why haven't they been able to sort of capture all those things and sort of win consistently at a high level? I mean, we saw Johnny Menzel and, and Kevin Sumlin have a great season or two. Um, but they've, you know, in Jimbo, uh, in 2020, but they've never been able to put it together kind of consistently in recent years. So I I think there are some alignment, some, you know, president, you know, sort of, you got to make sure everybody's on the same page, got to make sure the right hires are in place and the admin, uh, for this job to sort of help reach its potential. Uh, but the pros, I mean, this, this job should get a, a long list of high profile coaches interested in it.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that, Steve, because that, that was the other thing. I wanted you to kind of, you know, if there's a guy that, that is just the perfect tire that you think for A&M, and kind of how I equate that, yeah, I mean, obviously Nick Saban, <laughs> Kirby Smart, perfect, perfect tire. But, you know, let's try to keep it in the realm of, of at least realistic. And and you said it there. I mean, a- A&M should have everything to attract an elite coach, but but maybe they don't need a a James Franklin, who's a name, who may be wearing thin at Penn State. But I don't know. I don't know. but Maybe that's a perfect hire for what they need. I, so I'll leave that to you, Stephen. Let's just say, you know, they can afford anybody. Who who would be the – And and when I say perfect hire, I just mean someone that's going to come in there. We're not going to demand him to win a national championship year one or anything crazy, but – I mean, hell, A&M cannot be – they've never been a consistent like 10-win program. Who could come in there, develop that talent, attract elite talent that you will need and get their fair share against Alabama and Georgia and and turn this into a 10-win team more more often than not and maybe win an SEC title, maybe win a national championship. Is there a coach out there – and I I don't care if he's unemployed or employed or in the NFL – just, just anything really that you think is at least somewhat realistic that A&M, if they picked up the phone and called this guy, he would at least have to consider it. So I, I kind of, one of the things that, as you, you kind of alluded to it there,
3: I almost wonder if the flashy big time name is not what A&M needs here. You may just need to go get somebody who can get their hands dirty and is like not flashy. They're not going to have like the superstar press conference, but they're going to work like crazy. And they're going to be maybe a little bit, I wouldn't say underrated, but maybe they're not high on the coaching. Uh, They're not a top 15 uh, coach right now in college football. So I, I think the perfect fit is Lance Leopold at Kansas. He has won everywhere that he has been, whether it's Wisconsin, Whitewater, Buffalo, Look at how far Kansas has improved in just three seasons. I mean, they were the worst power five team in college football, and they're in the top 25 uh, now. Um, they have made a tremendous amount of progress. And I think he's the type of coach that can help m- this program reach its potential. He's not super flashy. He's just going to do the work. He's going to be able to hire good assistant coaches. He's done that with... uh Andy Koltanecki, his offensive coordinator, is one of the top ones in college football. So in theory, if if my if my hire of, of Lance Leopold, he's bringing his offensive coordinator and his staff here. But I think it's it's not flashy, but I think maybe that's what AM needs. It just needs a ball coach, and Lance Leopold is that type of coach.
0: Does that make any sense? No, that, that, I'm so glad you said that because I was hoping you didn't say – urban meyer like i said on a national television show today i mean that that's fun but it's like you're exactly right you said it perfectly i can't think of a better way to say it but we've already we've already made the splash hire we've already given a damn guy a national championship the the second he walked through the door and i'm i just don't i think that's a terrible approach after what we just went through get get you someone that can win and, and someone that has shown whether it's wisconsin whitewater buff he my 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 i mean he won at buffalo <laughs> i didn't even yeah. know buffalo had a football program you know what i mean um until that guy was there so yeah that that makes all the sense in the world i i think that is the direction they need to so that or like a like a jeff trailer who he's not going to win you the press conference and but you know while texas i think you could certainly say is like flash and all this and la la I mean that's great but in Texas it, they do things a little different down there particularly at, at A&M and and someone that has the respect of the high school coaches I know is Jeff Trailer, Leopold Trailer. I think those are the names they need to be looking at not can we steal Lincoln Riley can we get James Franklin I've heard Dabo I mean <laughs> I think Dabo is going to be one of those guys I mean he won two titles we got we got to give him respect for that but he he's going to be living all those titles for the rest of his life. You know, like he'll he'll never when when he's uh I'm trying to think where he's going to land. When he's Florida's next coach here when <laughs> they fire Billy Napier in a cup in a year. You know, like he, they're going to be like this guy's done it. He knows how to get, he's hokey but he can do it. You know what I mean? And then and then when he washes out when he's Mississippi State's coach and you know what I mean? Like the, we're still going to be saying Dabo oh, he won it those two years, you know?
3: I think if if Billy, well, I guess I should say this. If Jimbo Fisher, if we gave him all the grief in the world about not adapting, I can't wait until Dabo he comes into the SEC <laughs> and his refusal to use the transfer portal, rail every day against NIL, get callers on the phone. Tyler from Spartanburg's giving him a hard time and he's giving it back to him. So he would it would be awesome to see Dabo at a place like Texas AM it'd be fun for like Deion Sanders to be a Texas A&M, I think just for the entertainment value. And also (laughs) just to see Deion uh, just try to immerse himself in SEC culture. But to your point, and I think this is sort of like on Lance Leopold and it also fits with Jeff Traylor. Jeff Traylor is not going to be your top, a top like 20 coach in the coach rankings next year, but he has a tremendous amount of respect from all the high school coaches. Every sort of backstory that you read on high school coaches in the state of Texas. They all respect Jeff Trailer. They all like him. It certainly matters for recruiting. Um, and it also, I think, just in terms of someone who is willing to do the work and I think not going to be enamored with all the uh, the flash and, and this and that. He's just going to be a ball coach. He's just going to work, hire good assistants and recruit. And I think understanding that Texas high school culture, just understanding the state, uh could be pretty valuable. So I don't think they need to go get a big name. I think just go get you a ball coach and I think somebody who can help you take that potential and turn it into production and wins.
0: Yeah. So I hate to uh you know we spent all this time on A and M totally dis- disregard Mississippi State, but it's it's just so weird that to have two SEC openings within twenty four hours and and I can't even recall Steven the last time a a coach got fired on a Monday, but, uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, that I was not surprised he got fired. I was surprised he got fired on Monday, but, uh, it's almost talk- like they should have
3: like <laughs> flipped the two. Like, you know, Fisher gets fired on Monday. Arnett gets fired on Sunday for losing. Did, didn't Brian Harson get fired on uh Monday last year or Tuesday? Did he? I think it was Halloween last year that he got fired.
0: Hmm, that would make sense. So, Saban's birthday, but, uh, <laughs> I did say the loser leaves town in that A&M Mississippi State, and it was the winner that actually left town first. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> funny story about that real quick, uh, Stephen. Uh, apparently, they had a bunch of recruits in College Station over the weekend for the home game, and he he didn't spend a, a second of time with them. He After the game, he just said, I'm going, going to the ranch. And everybody was like, what in the world? So he he must have already known he was getting fired, but – that's the first just,
3: time he's used an up-tempo offense at A&M. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, th- thoughts on Zach Art? I feel bad for him. I mean, he was clearly in over his head. The situation was horrible. Uh, but I think a huge credit to Mississippi State for sitting here and saying, I know it's only been 10 games, but this guy is not the guy. Uh, I think a lot of schools that don't care about football – you know, they they would have they would have been worried about getting criticized for pulling the plug too early and, and this that and the other or you know trying to get the buyout lower what whatever whatever but not at Mississippi State they they knew this is it's been awful this is unacceptable this is a proud football program uh, thoughts on Zach Arnett getting the axe after just ten ten games I believe
3: it's the right call um, you know I, I think to to your point. Zacharin, I I think under some really challenging circumstances, you know, I think trying to juggle the idea of you have this proven core of players coming back and you want to change the system, but you also have to think about 2024 and beyond. You know, and so you in this era of the transfer portal and everything is sped up, you know, you have to think long term and short term. And it, it was pretty clear that it wasn't working earlier this season. Just the offensive style, the everything just wasn't meshing. And there was no improvement throughout the course of the year. They've been hit by injuries, obviously, with Woody Marks and, and Will Rogers. But to, to have the offense performing the last couple games and also the way the buyout was structured, you could move on easily. Credit to Arnett for taking over under some difficult circumstances and sort of navigating those waters. But like you said, Mississippi State is a, is a place that cares about football, and they want to win. And it was time to move on. So I, I easily, I think the, the right call by Mississippi State. It's a tough job, but I think that um, with the resources and the willingness to win, I think they, they'll be able to get a good coach in here.
0: Yeah, and what what are the the highlights you think of of the Mississippi State job? The the pros and cons there, like you did for a And M. I think the pros are you know for a job that's probably one of the tougher ones in
3: the SEC. I think it's certainly the toughest in the SEC West as it is currently constructed. I think the fan support and the fact that they've done a lot around stadium and facilities to sort of raise the profile of the program, and also we've seen. Uh Dan Mullen was a consistent winner at Mississippi State. So, yes, it is hard, but for the right coach, you can go and be a consistent winning team. And you also have, you know, Alabama's is you know, recruiting is right there, state of Mississippi, transfers, JUCOs. Um, there are some things going for it. It is hard, and that's really the biggest con of the job. It's just a hard job in the in college football's toughest league. You could argue it's getting tougher with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league, but no divisions. So maybe you lose some of those SEC West teams and you pick up uh, some of the East teams that might be struggling on one of those years. So I I think the fans, the passion, the willingness to spend, and the willingness to win are pros for Mississippi State, even though it is a difficult job. We should also note, too— the divide in college football that is there, like the SEC and big 10 are pulling away from everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in, in three years and five years to college football, but I do think that there's going to be some pool for coaches to those two conferences because of the security that you can guarantee yourself in terms of having a conference home.
0: Yeah. And so same thing uh, for Mississippi state that you did for A and M perfect hire. You think to uh, turn Mississippi state around. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> Dick Saban, Kirby smart, that would be the perfect, but again, let's, let's try to keep it at least somewhat realistic. Cause it's an interesting job for every reason you just mentioned. I mean, there will be some candidates won't touch it. There'll be others. I think they'd be very eager to, to come into this situation to show what a great coach they are. and, and, Mike Leach and Dan Mullen won there and many other, Jackie Sherrill. So, I mean, it's not like you can't win down there. So who, who do you think is that perfect hire that Mississippi State could potentially get to to turn around the program? I've got two names, and
3: they're on different sort of spectrums. Let's start with the one that I think is up and coming and I think fits with i like Mississippi State to do something different. Be difficult to prepare for every week be a nightmare for defensive coordinators. And that is Jamie Chadwell at Liberty. Uh, He's won at Coastal Carolina. He's won at Liberty. They're undefeated this year. His offense is, you know, sort of unique. It's creative. Uh, I think it'd be a nightmare for some of these teams to play on a short week. So I think getting the most out of your roster and doing something creative, I think Chadwell fits that. The other name is kind of in the same boat, he's just a lot older, and that's Willie Fritz at Tulane. Uh, look at what, you know, Tulane is a very challenging job even in the American Athletic Conference now, but they went to the Cotton Bowl, they beat USC last year, they do some kind of creative, unique stuff on offense, and I think he's the type of coach that continually gets the most out of the roster, and he he is like Lance Leipold, too. He's one at Tulane, Sam Houston State, Georgia Southern, lower levels of football. So I think A proven winner who is not afraid to try different things offensively and just has a track record of success. And also, it might be a destination job for him. Like he's at the point of his career where maybe he wants to make one more move Mm -hmm. uh, before retiring. And you could maybe get him for the next, you know, eight years and have eight great seasons of, of football. So, sort of the up and coming coach and also the proven veteran that might be looking for one more big move in his career
0: yeah no i I love both of those suggestions steven i'm two offensive minded guys and, and like you say willie fritz he's a heck of a coach i've heard his age used against him but in my mind that would probably make him ideal like you're saying for mississippi state he's, he's not had that sec opportunity and you know it, he, he it may never come for him and, and that's that's just a reality because of his age but maybe at Mississippi State like you said maybe you know six seven eight years if you get you get a quality coach at Mississippi State for eight years you you hit a grand slam so that makes sense and Jamie Chadwell same thing you know younger coach innovative his offenses are fun and uh yeah I think that would be a nightmare for a lot of these defensive coordinators and and I don't know what it is again that uh, you know I I I don't want to traffic and rumors because I don't I don't know, but I have heard that there's something in his background that that scares some people. But uh if he, he did so well at coastal, now he's doing it at Liberty, maybe Liberty can be the uh the new Arkansas State where they, they just train future SEC coaches. You know what I mean? So uh yeah, I mean I, I, I don't know if you could do much better than those. I think those are two outstanding candidates.
3: Willie Fritz is sixty three years old. I mean Nick Saban is in his seventies. So you're looking at somebody who could be coaching for eight to 10 more years. And there were a lot of reports last year that he was either close to taking the job at Georgia Tech or was interested in it. So I don't think and Tulane also just lost their athletic director, too. So there might be a willingness to leave a situation that even though it's Tulane and he likes it there, You know, one more job that you get a good chance to go coach in the SEC that's not too far from where you've spent a lot of your coaching career. I think that would be uh, pretty attractive. So I I think you're looking at a couple different candidates there. You you know, Chadwell would be somebody who Mississippi State probably would know is only in it for like the short term uh, because the, the next tier of jobs would open up and he would probably be looking to move up the ladder. But Willie Fritz might just be a guy who. He's just looking for one more stop. He wants to do it at a power five. And what better place to do it at Mississippi state, where you could go and coach and reel off consistent winning seasons and have a nice career like, uh, like Dan Mullen uh, did. So I think there's a lot of, I, to, to our point, I think Mississippi state, whether it's Fritz, whether it's Jamie Chadwell, uh, whether it's someone like John Summerall at Troy, they, they should have plenty of good coaching candidates here for this job. I, I, I don't, I would not I do not think the difficulty is going to scare all the good coaches away, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. All right, just want to take a quick break from the show to let you to remind you guys, we're brought to you by MyBookie, MyBookie Online Sportsbook. Head on over to mybookie.ag today and put in that promo code that S E C. That's how they'll get you that exclusive 200 dollars cash bonus sign up over at mybookie.ag online sportsbook. And it's not just college football. They got NFL, NBA, they got all the sports, UFC. I don't follow any of that. I just follow SEC. But they got you covered over at mybookie.ag today. Online sports book, cannot go wrong. And most importantly, again, that promo code THAT, T H A T S E C, over at mybookie.ag today. $200 cash bonus today if you sign up for a new account. This is the number one way. To help the podcast. We don't ask for much folks. But we do ask if you can afford it. To head on over to bookie, Sign up for a new account. Really, really, really would help out the podcast. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea. Your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea. And picks a flavorful punch. 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by GameTime. Head on over to GameTime.co. And use promo code that S E C T H A T S E C for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. GameTime is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co snag tickets without the stress download the game time app create an account and use code that SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase terms apply again create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off download the game time app today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed now back to the show yeah all right Steven so uh, let's take a look ahead to uh, the upcoming slate uh, be it as it may here in the SEC. The entire West is essentially on a bye week uh, with all their cupcakes. So uh, there's a, there's a three East teams going head-to-head. Let's start with Georgia at Tennessee, what many projected to be the game of the year. <laughs> it is not. Uh, Tennessee's dud of a performance kind of killed a lot of the buzz heading into this. But maybe – this is what I do, Stephen. I I try to look at the silver linings here. Maybe this makes it the perfect trap game for them dogs who don't even have to. They don't even have to practice this week in Athens. Hopefully, they're taking it easy and they're sizing up their SEC championship rings. What's your thoughts on uh, Georgia going on the road to uh, Neyland Stadium? I think the same thing
3: that we talked about with Missouri last week applies for Tennessee here. Season's not over; still a lot to play for. Um, I know Tennessee's out of the SEC East race, but a win here all of a, and a win against Vanderbilt, maybe you're back in the conversation to be in the New Year Six. If nothing else, you just improve your bowl stock and you can beat Georgia. Uh, that should be motivation enough uh, for Tennessee. And Rocky Top has been good uh, to Tennessee against uh, top teams. Alabama last year, and A&M wasn't top-ranked, but still uh, beating them at home this year earlier this season was a good win. So I think I- I'm curious to see how Tennessee – comes out from an energy perspective i think that the crowd will be into it and just after last week's game you know does this team sort of forget about it and go out there and they have nothing to lose at this point uh and see how they play so I, i'm just i'm fascinated to see how tennessee looks from a matchup perspective i think the one matchup that would worry me from tennessee is carson beck brock bowers and georgia's receivers against tennessee secondary because as we saw on Saturday against Missouri um, if that pass rush doesn't get home, if they're not stopping the run, it could be a long afternoon uh, for Tennessee's defense. And then the same thing kind of on the other side, Uh, Joe Mentum is, is definitely been a real thing uh, for me. I've, i you know, I like the way that Milton has been playing, uh, but certainly he's going to have to have a huge effort here uh, for Tennessee to have any
0: chance of an upset. Yeah. Is it, Nico time. No, I'm just kidding, but yeah. the, I, I keep getting asked that too. It's like, uh, I mean, I, I don't think Joe Milton's a problem. I think the problem is, uh, unwillingness to tackle against Missouri. That was certainly a problem. Secondary has become an issue all of a sudden, but, uh, third
3: down defense too. Ooh,
0: third down for what, you know? Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's been a nightmare, but uh, let me ask you this, Steven. Um, cause I'm, a, I'm slightly concerned. I've, you know, I, I'm wondering if Josh Heupel's overrated. I, I put I would put him in the elite category heading into the year, but after that performance over the weekend, after the Florida performance, which I thought was just awful from a coaching perspective, getting completely outclassed on the road at Alabama, which that happens to a lot of people, but I don't think it should happen to you when you're up 21 to, what was it? Twenty to seven or or whatever in Tuscaloosa, you know, clearly you're 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 doing something right for a, for a half. But uh, I don't know it 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 concerned at all about Heupel and if he's was a flash in the pan or if defenses are starting to figure out his scheme or I mean I, I could can flip it the other way too because this offensive line is not close to last year. Clearly for all the Joe Mentum, and I'm not I'm not piling on him. I don't know why people keep piling on Joe, Joe Mentum, but he's not and Hooker. These receivers are not even close to last year. So I'm, I guess I'm sitting here making excuses, but those are realities as well. Does that factor into it? What's your overall thoughts on the job Hypel's doing? Yeah, I, I think
3: if we assume Tennessee loses to Georgia and beats Vanderbilt, they'll be 8-4. If this is as much as Tennessee's quarterbacks, receivers, and offensive lines are going to struggle, and you still finish 8-4, and I think that's a pretty good sign. Fire. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think, unlike Jimbo Fisher, Josh Heupel is willing to adapt. And we've seen that this year with the way they were using the ground game. Obviously, the defense was playing well up until Saturday. I'm not worried. Um, I think Nico has a higher ceiling Than Joe Milton and I think they can figure out the receiving core go get some guys in the portal if they need they've you know the offense has regressed but a lot of that is personnel so I think if you can get uh restock this offseason continue to build on defense I think Tennessee's going to be just fine I'm not I'm not worried at this point um about Tennessee I think they're going to be just fine in the future
0: yeah, maybe maybe right. I
3: talk you off the ledge a little bit.
0: You certainly did. I appreciate yeah. that, Stephen. But you're going to need to talk these Gators fans off the ledge because a lot of them are done with Billy Napier. I, I think it's a certainty unless he unless he loses by 50 points to Missouri and, and FSU. I, he's certainly coming back. I would think um, he's losing recruits like it's nobody's business. So that's that's a real problem. But I I anticipated a, a very close game on the road at LSU, and it was it was for for a good. I mean, if you didn't watch that game, you didn't realize. I believe they had a lead in the third quarter. So I mean, it's not like they got their their doors blown off, but the Jane Daniels is just so good. Their their defense was rough, no doubt, but they're still fighting. They're still competing, but I'm a little concerned, Stephen, that that was a game where they were like, "All right, this this is the one we steal." and and i don't i don't know i don't know if they're about to run out of gas cuz that that's the vibe i get with the defense they're just completely out of it and and missouri now is you know they're they're playing with an edge and and i think they i think they want to beat florida pretty bad what what's your thoughts on this matchup
3: yeah i think first of all um florida from a preseason expectation standpoint you know they were in that 5 and 7 six and six window, I think, by most sports books for, for over under odds. So five and seven, if that's what they end up, is not too crazy uh from preseason expectations, given what they lost and and of course what they're still going through as far as roster building under Billy Napier. I think you had to go into the season knowing there was not a quick fix. And they didn't attack the transfer portal to have a quick fix. I think he's napier is right to build through the high school ranks my question is what is the accelerator point to where you go from five and seven to ten and two and you're going to have to compete now with texas and oklahoma is it another recruiting class is it the personnel developing and combined with transfer portal I, i don't know that i see it next year to go from five wins to 10 wins. Could they be a little bit better? Yeah, I I think so. Um, So I, I think it's important for Florida and for Billy Napier to keep that recruiting class together. Number one, number two, I think any staff changes, whether that's hiring a special teams coordinator, hiring an offensive coordinator and bringing in hope on the, from the transfer portal for defense. They are giving up 7.4 yards per play in SEC games this season, and over 33 points a game in SEC play. Uh, and I and I give Napier credit for developing Graham Mertz too. You know that that we thought come into the season he would be the 14th quarterback mm-hmm. in the SEC, and he's been a lot closer to to middle of the pack. So it, there's some optimism in there, but it also feels really cloudy. If that makes sense, it's it's like I don't. I, I've gotten a lot of mixed signals on the on the positivity front. Every time it, it feels like Florida takes a step forward, it feels like there's two steps back. And you could point to the last two seasons and say Vanderbilt in 2021, uh, or sorry, 2022 and Arkansas in 2023
0: were games they should have won and didn't. Right. Well, how about the other side, Stephen? Cody Schrader, gone this far, I haven't mentioned him. But what what a... What an elite running back that I have always said was the best running back in the SEC. Not really, but I mean he's killing it. I mean he should he be? Uh, you know it was funny. Drink was talking about Heisman. Now he's not going to win it because I, maybe had they beaten Georgia, that'd been a different story. But uh, you know, is he getting enough love? Heck, Luther Burden. I, I know he scored, but he he didn't have. Uh, they didn't need him. You know I, I think he was clearly banged up, but. Um, I thought thoughts on Mizzou heading into this matchup and they take a big step towards, uh, winning 10 games this season. If they can beat the Florida Gators.
3: Absolutely. And also Missouri winning combined with Ole Miss losing might help Missouri get to a new year's six bowl game. They could be playing in the peach bowl. That's a pretty big deal. Um, I know bowl games, they don't matter, whatever. I think that's a pretty big deal, uh, for Missouri to get to 10 wins and get to the big time bowl game. You know, it, I think one of the stories of Missouri is behind all the improvement, it's two guys that no one really thought was any good at some point. I mean, Cody Schrader's a, a walk on from Truman State, <laughs> and he's the only running back in the SEC with over a thousand yards right now and averaging um, over 100 yards a game. And same thing for Brady Cook. He was just totally written off after last year. And right. he's one of the top, you know, twenty-five in the country. So I think it's, it's a, it's a, a kind of a cool story in college football. It's sort of like the epitome of college football is that, you know, while Alabama and Georgia and all these other teams are dominate, you get a team like Missouri, who's having one of the best seasons in a long time, with two guys that were just totally written off at various points of their career. So I, I think a lot of credit to to Drinkowitz for. Uh, you know, maximizing the potential of these two guys. And certainly for Cody Schrader with that performance against Tennessee, uh, you know, certainly I don't, don't know if he's going to get into the Heisman mix, but you start thinking about post-season All-America. Yeah. I think that's certainly uh, a conversation that could happen later this year.
0: Yeah. I just can't be more impressed going into that matchup, Tennessee, number one, rushing attack, number one, stopping the run. And Mizzou just dominated on that, both aspects in that matchup. So, they keep doing like that. No, no one's going to beat them the rest of the year, including the bowl game. Uh, how about Kentucky at South Carolina, the final SEC matchup of the weekend? You know, no uh, sunglass game. I wish they'd make out a, a trophy or something. Or, <laughs> but this this is clearly a rivalry. Kentucky hates South Carolina. They hate the buzz South Carolina gets annually, even though they beat them more often than not. They did beat them last year, but the quarterback was out. Uh, this this is one both these uh, South Carolina has to get it to uh, to reach a bowl game. Mark Stoops I think doesn't have to get it, but he you know r- you really want to swing this series back in your favor. Thoughts on this matchup, Kentucky at South Carolina? I think for Kentucky, I think if you start
3: looking at how the last two games of the season could go on the road in a night game at a place a night game at South Carolina, which has been dangerous to top uh, teams or just teams in general recent years. And you have Louisville to close the season. So you could be looking at a pretty, you know, bad finish to the season outside of that win against Mississippi state. So I think there is for Kentucky sort of a course correction, almost, you know, can you finish the season on a high note? Can you uh, win your last two games, go into the post season with um, a little bit of momentum, eight and four, certainly looks a lot better than six and six. Uh, So I I think there's a lot to play for in terms of just a season uh, where the season ends up for Kentucky. And I think for South Carolina, it's all about getting to number six. You know, they picked off Vanderbilt in dominant fashion. Uh, It was a kind of a complete team victory defense played well Uh, score on special teams. Spencer Rattler was awesome. You know, everything that they did in that game, you want to see them replicate here because this is definitely closer to um, a toss up. But if there is one area that I think you have to like, if you're South Carolina, it's Kentucky's past defense has been a real issue all season and you get Kentucky coming to your place at night, Spencer Rattler uh, in, in November last year was awesome. Can he sort of find that same sort of magic here? Um, and I think for Kentucky, Devin Leary and Ray Davis with the way that South Carolina has played defensively all year, there should be some opportunities for both to sort of get back on track after the game against Alabama.
0: Mm. And uh, I know I asked you, Stephen, to you know, most likely to pull an upset with all these, 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 these games are so garbage. I, I don't even know if it's, is there any, any nuggets or notes or anything about any of these teams or even the SEC teams, if you want Uh, the rest of these games? Because, I mean, it would be a stunning upset, I would think, if if any of these teams lost.
3: Yeah, it really would. I think if you're looking for the most, like the game that would concern me the most would be Southern Miss going to Mississippi State just because of the way Mississippi State has been trending, the injuries, the coaching change, also the look ahead to the, the Egg Bowl on thursday night southern miss was struggling uh they're three and seven but they have been playing better the last couple of weeks and if you want to feel really old frank gore's son is the starting running back for southern <laughs> miss and he's awesome he can play some quarterback too so uh yeah a little little nostalgia there as you're watching uh southern miss but that would be the game that would concern me the most and probably the next one would be new mexico state going to auburn and it, Again, it is a heavy lift here. New Mexico State, I've got them 64th in my power rankings nationally. This is a really solid team. They've gotten better over the season. Um, Diego Pavia, their quarterback, good at hitting big plays. He can run around, too. He's kind of hard to stop. I think Auburn takes care of business, but teams with a good quarterback in these kind of spots uh, could create some chaos, albeit if it is a long shot. And again, it should be a long shot. Based upon the way that Auburn has been playing the last couple weeks,
0: the only one I want to ask you about is FIU. Any, I mean, any threat there? Given how how poorly Arkansas played last week, I mean, Sam Pittman, this 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 one game's not going to save him by any means. But uh, I mean, if he he just better not lose.
3: They've got to win this one, and they should. Uh, FIU, <laughs> I've got him at one twenty two nationally okay. out of one thirty three. They are struggling. <laughs> Both sides of the ball, uh, offense, defense, near the bottom of conference USA. So, if Arkansas loses this game, I I think we can safely escort Sam Pittman to a, a room, wherever wherever Brett Bielema was fired, they can do the same thing and ask him to politely leave the facility.
0: So I, I I've, this has become my favorite part of this this whole thing. Uh, any are you leaning? Can you, early predictions for just for the three SEC? No no one cares about the other. Duds but have you uh early picks and, and you know things can change during the week if if we find out uh, you know quarterbacks or, or something is is unavailable but uh, any thoughts on on the winners for these three SEC games? I feel good about
3: Missouri beating Florida, I feel good about Georgia beating Tennessee, uh, maybe famous last words feel feeling good about a <laughs> prediction sure to go wrong uh Kentucky and South Carolina. Very much a toss-up. I tend to side with teams that are desperate and have something to play for. And with South Carolina at home on Saturday night with the crowd and the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and the Kentucky secondary issues, I'm probably going to take South Carolina and what would be a very small upset by the spread.
0: Right. Yeah. That would be interesting going into that Clemson game with the Bull hopes on the linemen. It's a perfect segue, Stephen. Our last uh, topic here: updated bowl projections. You brought these to us uh, last week, and and fans really appreciated that. I, I appreciated the idea, Stephen. And so now uh, we we can we didn't have Arkansas, but I guess you didn't have them for good reason. Uh, any other teams eliminated uh, fr- from bowl? Is Mississippi State officially deleted or, or or out of the running? I took Mississippi
3: State out. Normally, my, my theory is until you're officially eliminated, I will keep you in the projections. I, I have to say, though, after Saturday's performance, I don't have a ton of confidence <laughs> in them beating Ole Miss and the Egg Bowl. Now crazy things have happened, but they are out. Arkansas is out. Uh, we're still holding on to, to Florida, but they are very much on the bubble at this point. And South Carolina sneaks in
0: the, uh, again this week as well. And no, no consideration for Vanderbilt, huh? Don't think so.
3: I think we have to get pretty far <laughs> down the list of APR teams for them to get in this year.
0: <laughs> All right, so let's start at the top. I think that's what we did last week. Uh, uh, who, If there is a SEC team that makes a playoff, uh, who you got there?
3: Georgia uh, in the Sugar Bowl against Texas. So same thing as last week. Be Georgia taking on future SEC uh, opponent Texas, I guess SEC cousin this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Would be a fun uh, semifinal. So that that is my one versus four in the college football playoff uh, after week eleven.
0: Nice. Uh, and then uh, we got any uh, new year six teams in the SEC? Absolutely. I've got Alabama versus Oregon
3: in the Cotton Bowl, which would be fun. Uh, Bo Nix taking on Alabama would be an entertaining yeah. uh, matchup. And
0: current oh. Alabama coach versus the next Alabama
3: right. coach, apparently. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Dan Lanning uh, getting a, a Alabama head coach in training uh, up there in Oregon <laughs> right now. I've also got Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl against Penn State. I went back and forth on this one, Missouri or Ole Miss. The college football playoff rankings had a pretty decent gap between Ole Miss and Missouri mm-hmm. last week. So we'll, we'll see what happens mm-hmm. with that going forward. But that one of those teams – if they can get to 10 wins, is in good shape to be in the New Year six right now, based upon everything we know. So, like I said, still a lot to play for from Missouri and certainly for uh for Ole Miss.
0: Hmm. I wonder um uh you would know better than I, but to Tulane, I know they were ranked. Did they win last week? They did. Yeah, they beat Tulsa. Yeah, that uh, helps that certainly helps Ole Miss in the in those playoff rankings.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, that that if, if Tulane keeps Winning, that will help uh, Ole Miss to get to that. They probably need to be 9, 10, 11. And it also helps, and this is also the case for Missouri. Uh, Louisville is ranked ahead of them, and Louisville's got to play Florida State. They still have to play Kentucky. There's still a lot of losing that's going to happen in in that range, too. So that's why it's important for Ole Miss and Missouri just to keep winning, because I think it's all going to take care of itself at the top.
0: Is Kansas State ranked? Because I know Missouri beat them.
3: They are ranked in the Associated Press poll. Uh, mm-hmm. So they should, I would assume they would stay in, and, and, and the playoff rankings as well um, after uh, after last week's win over Baylor.
0: Yeah, well, Missouri fans aren't going to like it, Stephen. But where you, where you got them? Out Just outside the, the New York Six?
3: Just outside in the Citrus Bowl against Iowa uh so sort of a little regional <laughs> affair going down in the Citrus Bowl. So uh Missouri, Ole Miss, like I said, you could pretty much interchange those two after uh after last week.
0: Yeah, that's where you had Tennessee last week. So I I know they're dropping. Where, where are they next?
3: <laughs> I've got them in the Gator Bowl uh against Clemson. Uh Ooh. so a, a little reunion with Dabo after last year. Now, it is tricky to get two teams to play in in the bowl game to years in a row so that may be something the acc or sec looks to move tennessee around you could maybe sub in north carolina instead of clemson here tennessee also plays nc state in next year that also sort Mm -hmm. of complicates the bowl uh pecking order for the for the acc so uh tennessee's kind of in a in a in that uh gator citrus reliaquist maybe even the duke's mayo conversation right now
0: Tennessee sure doesn't like Gators, I can tell you that. All right, yeah. uh, who's next? Uh, in the Reliat Quest Bowl, much like
3: last week, we have Brian Kelly meeting up with some family uh, playing Notre <laughs> Dame. So that would be a fun uh, reunion for Brian Kelly uh, to play a lot of his old players and, and Marcus Freeman. I've got Auburn playing Maryland in the Music City Bowl. Uh, mm. Talia Tongavaloa, uh, Tua's little brother, doing a good job uh, as Maryland's quarterback. And, of course, Mike Loxley, uh, the head coach up there. Yeah. In in the Liberty Bowl, I've got West Virginia playing South Carolina. So uh, South Carolina on the bubble, but two games, two winnable games. It's there for them. Uh, still, still in the bowl projections uh, going into this week. And I've got Kentucky versus Virginia Tech. In the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, those two teams actually played in this game a few years ago. And oh,
0: yeah. Fight. 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 Yeah. fight. <laughs> I think th- this <laughs> one... Hand and Hooker. Right, and hooker. <laughs> right, that's right.
3: Totally forgot that um, it was Hand Hooker. So Texas, the Texas Bowl with Texas A&M mm-hmm. and Oklahoma State, same thing as last week. And the Gasparilla Bowl, same thing as last week. Florida on the bubble against Georgia Tech.
0: Yeah, I'd be pretty interested in that, uh, particularly that A and M Oklahoma game. Oklahoma State, excuse me, um, Gundy. Well, I was gonna say Jimbo, can't say that anymore. <laughs> but uh, you know, nice history. I, I always like when these teams that don't get to play each other anymore, but have a history, play each other in the bowl game. I don't, I don't know if anybody else enjoys that, but I, I know I certainly do.
3: I always do, and you know that's one of the reasons why I was hoping Kansas would play Missouri last year because of the rivalry and we don't you know we don't get that anymore at the end of the season it's all it's funny because of the conferences getting bigger there's actually been some chatter that the bowl games may actually be (laughs) between like two big 10 teams that didn't play in the regular season and maybe some of the other conferences too so this might the the next couple years the bowl season might look a lot different and this might be one of like the last times we get all these tie-ins like we have them
0: you're saying Alabama Missouri in a New Year's Six Bowl or something like it, that. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> right. It, which
3: I guess that would even be I mean this year Alabama would be in the play in the 12 team playoff and right. Missouri would be just out on the bubble. So technically you could have Alabama versus Missouri in Tuscaloosa in a first round game or it's like Alabama versus Missouri in the like second Sugar Bowl at the after the playoff game.
0: Yeah, man. It's going to be wild to see all that play out. You know what? It, it, college football is headed for
3: so many changes next year. Uh, and we, we're not even done with the coaching carousel this year. So who knows what's <laughs> going to happen over the next uh, couple weeks. But certainly, I mean, the conferences, the bowls, the playoff, everything's going to look a lot different. It's, it's, in, it's another reason why we should enjoy these last couple weeks of the college football season, because it's going to look a lot different in the future.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Well, Stephen, I appreciate you as always. Before you go, can you tell the audience uh, where can they follow you? Where can they find your work?
3: Absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at Steven. You can also subscribe to my YouTube page, all CFB365. If you're on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, threads, I am StephenLCFB. All right, Stephen, I appreciate you and can't wait to talk to you next week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to, to catching up next week before all the rivalry games.
0: All right. So just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. Always appreciate having the college football encyclopedia on this show. And uh, his knowledge when it comes to college football is just unlimited. So always a treat having Stephen on the show. Cousin Shane, he'll be back on the next one. We'll go live again after the, the upcoming college football playoff rankings. Preview these games. Got a number of guests I'm already reaching out to, trying to get, uh, you know, trying to finish strong here. We got some games this weekend, coaching searches, a lot going on around the SEC. So stick around all week. We got you covered. But uh, just want to say thanks, everybody, for, for tuning in, sticking out all season long. I hope you appreciate all the time that we put into making this show. And based on the numbers, I think you all do. But Maybe we don't say that enough. Just thanks to each and every one of you for continuing to check us out, and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.